16 through verse 40. John 16, John chapter 6, verses 16 to 40. Well, someone once said, I wish I was the white crayon, because then nobody would use me. Like, nobody likes to be used, right? We don't like to be used. We, we love to have relationships. We want to be uh, treated with love and respect, but nobody wants to be used. I read uh, another quote about being used says this, people were meant to be loved. Things were meant to be used. And the problem with the world today is that we love things and we use people. We get it turned around. We mix, mix it up. And we all get that. We all understand this, that this is a huge problem. We resonate with this problem. But if we're honest, we have to conclude that we ourselves are guilty of the very thing that we hate. The very thing we see in others so clearly we can't see it in our own lives. We can't see that we have used other people. And what's even worse is that we try, in some ways, to use God instead of loving Him. In our text today, we see that the people who were filled with bread at Jesus' miracle of, of turning the loaves and fishes into abundant food were guilty of this very thing, of loving things more than Jesus and of attempting to use Jesus. Let's look at our text together. John chapter 6, verses 16 to 40. When the evening came, the disciples went down to the lake, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are, not, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked Him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the One He has sent. So they asked Him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, 
And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Never let us, lo- help, never let us lose confidence in it as your word. We know that this is spoken by you, that this is God-breathed. So, Father, we pray that as we read, as we hear your word proclaimed, that you would plant it deep into our hearts so that we would live lives of obedience. That we would live lives of gratitude towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we remember from uh, our previous passage, uh, preached a couple weeks ago, that Jesus performed this huge miracle providing for thousands of people food when they were, they were hungry. They had been following him, listening to his teaching, and he miraculously provides for them. But then he has to make a getaway. He has to make an escape because they were wanting to, to capture him, basically, and force him to become their king. They wanted a, a political king, one who would uh, raise up against the Romans and establish God's kingdom here on earth. You see that in verse 15. They wanted to come and take him and make him king by force. So he got out of there. He withdrew again to the mountain. And so the people are seeking him. They, they know that Jesus did not get into the boat with his disciples. They're looking for him. They're wondering, where did Jesus go? They can't find him anywhere. Little did they know that the disciples had gone across by themselves, but Jesus was out walking on the water. Such a huge display of the power of Jesus Christ in total control of all the elements of nature, just walking on the water. They didn't know this. They didn't know where he had gone. And so they're seeking him. They're looking for Jesus. Uh, In verse 25, they finally find him. They have some boats that, that come over. They perhaps get on those boats and head over. And they finally find him. They say in verse 25, when did you get here, Jesus? Or how long have you been here? We've been looking for you. They've been seeking after Jesus. But why were they seeking Jesus? What were they seeking Jesus for? In verses 26 and 27, Jesus answers them by not answering their question. You see, I love the way Jesus does this. People will ask him a question and he does not answer the question that they pose to him. It's the same here. He doesn't answer their question. How long have you been here, Jesus? And then he answers by exposing the motivations of their own heart. By exposing their sinful hearts. Look at his answer. Truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. He exposes the the very motivations of their heart. They weren't ultimately seeking Jesus, were they? They were seeking their fill of bread. Jesus says, you're not seeking me for who I am. You don't want me. You want what I gave to you. You want this physical food, this physical bread that I gave to you. Jesus exposes their motivations, what they were seeking, first of all. They were seeking temporal things. 
says don't seek after these things that spoil. In a broader sense, we could say it not only applies to food, but it applies to everything in this life that will not last. Right? What is it that people seek after with all of their hearts? Because they think that this is ultimately what they need. Jesus is saying here, do not seek after those things. They're going to spoil. What, is it the thing, what are the things that you seek after? That you think will give you lasting happiness and fulfillment in this life? Are you seeking money, just a paycheck? Because you think that, that is where your hope is found? In a nice retirement, that is what will give you satisfaction? Are you seeking the temporary things of a career? You know, the Egyptians were buried. Many of the Egyptians were buried with all of their wealth, gold and jewels, because they they kind of figured maybe it'll go along with us. But we all know you go out of the world just the same way you came in. You don't have a thing to your name when you leave this earth. Don't seek after the things that will spoil Don't think after the approval of other people around you. Teenagers, do you seek the approval of those around you? Is that driving what you do when you go to school? When you're around your friends? When you're at work? Is that driving what you you do and everything? You want others to see your worth, your value. That too is temporary. The praise of men will vanish one day with all the other things that we pursue. This is what these people were pursuing. They were seeking after bread. They saw the sign that Jesus did, and instead of letting it point them to Jesus, they kept looking at the sign. They kept looking at the miracle, the physical that would vanish. But not only were they seeking the wrong thing, not only were they seeking the temporary instead of the eternal, they weren't seeking Jesus, they were actually using Jesus to get what they wanted. They were using Jesus to get at what they wanted. They weren't seeking for Jesus for who He was. That the sign, All the signs that Jesus did were meant to point to who He was. To His greatness. The fact that He was the Savior, the Messiah. But instead, they were seeking to use Him. And just as I said at the, the introduction, we so clearly and so easily see this in other people. We know when we're being used, right? We know when someone is using us for just what we can give them, but it's so difficult to see when we're using other people. When you get, when you get home later, ask a loved one, sincerely, truly, do you notice any ways in me where I tend to use people? And it might be difficult for them to see, but I would almost rather have an answer than not because if they don't give you an answer, that might be a sign that you're using them. They're afraid to tell you because then you're going you're gonna to blow up, right? Do people walk on eggshells when they're around you? Afraid to, to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? Do you get really angry at, at someone when they won't do what you want them to do? Those might be signs that you're using people, right? Like we use tools. You know, you get uh, a Christmas present, a bike or something like that, and it comes with a couple of little uh, Allen wrenches or something like that. You use those tools for what you need, and then you toss them away. They're worthless. And if we're not careful, we can use people in the same way. We can see people in the same way as objects to be used to get what we want. 
can even happen when we are serving others and giving to charity. Did you know that? Have you ever recognized that? That we can use the people we are serving to boost our own egos. That you can serve someone or give them something that they need because it makes you feel good about caring for others. It makes you feel like you're a savior, like you're helping to save someone else. See, we do this in so many ways. Or if we get angry at someone because they're too slow at the grocery store. We just want them to run us right on through. You're just an object. You're just a tool to give me what I need so I can get out of here. We don't see them as people to be loved. We see them as objects to be used. See, we're just as guilty as these people here are in our text. And not only do we use other people, we use God Himself. We try to, anyway. How How do we try to use God? Many times it may be in the unspoken expectations we have of God. Where we say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going, to do, uh, I'm going to try to do everything you tell me to do. And as an unspoken expectation, I'm not going to get a terminal disease. I'm not going to get sick. You're going to take care of my children. Nothing's going to go wrong with my life. Because I'm doing the best I can to follow you. And don't you see that? That is basically a prosperity gospel message. People believe if if you do your best to follow God, then He'll he'll give you everything that you you want. He'll take care of everything. You'll have a, a smooth sailing life. And this is not at all what the Bible teaches us. If you look at Jesus Himself, what happens to Jesus who perfectly followed the will of God? He was crucified. Or Paul, who, who we look to as a, a father in the faith who was obedient in his calling to the Lord Jesus. He said, everywhere I go, per, I know persecutions await me. Do not use God in this way. Do not make backroom deals with God. Okay, I'll follow you, but if, if I'm going to follow you, you're going to have to do this for me. Or or perhaps we use God in other ways. We don't really think much about God or we don't really spend time in His Word or in prayer just when everything's going fine, right? We we don't really need Him right now. But then when, when tragedy strikes, when difficulty strikes, then He's the first person we go to, God, take care of this. Fix this problem. That can so easily be just an attempt to use God. We... Every one of us are guilty, not only of using one another, but of using God or attempting to use God. Just like, we we can't judge these people in the text. We, We can't say what we would have done ourselves. Jesus points out the sinful motivations of their heart. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It shows us, when we look at it truly, when we look at it as a mirror to our souls, it shows us all the ways we have failed. It shows us what we deserve. The law speaks and every one of us is condemned before the law. That's what the book of Romans is about. Romans chapter 3. Every one of us, our mouths are shut before the Lord. We have nothing to say in defense for our behavior, for our thoughts, for the things that we have done. All of us stand guilty before God because of our thoughts, words, and deeds. Jesus exposes their hearts. But then we get the next question. In verse 28, 
we get the next question. Okay, if we must uh, do the work, if we must pursue the things that are eternal, if we must work for food that endures to eternal life, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answers them in a way that they might not have been ready for. The work of God is this, to believe in the one God has sent. To believe. To simply believe. Ultimately, there is no work we can do to make up for our sins. There is no work we can do to overcome the debt that we have gathered up by our sins. It is only by trust in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's a gift. Did you see that in verse 27? This food that endures to eternal life, the Son of Man will give it to you. Just give it to you. This is what salvation is. It is simply a gift. It's nothing you've earned or deserved. It's given to you by the Savior, by the Son of Man, the Son of God. Okay, so why should we believe you then, Jesus? That's what the people here are saying. If the work of God is to believe the one God has sent, if the work of God is to believe in you, why should we believe you? They point to uh, their ancestors in the wilderness who were fed by manna. Ultimately, what they're saying here is, are you greater than Moses? Moses led our fathers through the wilderness. He provided manna in the wilderness for them. And Jesus answers and says, no, it wasn't Moses who gave you that manna. It was God. It was and what, he doesn't just say it was God. He says it was my Father who gave you the manna in the wilderness. It's not Moses. It's my Father who not only gave them the manna in the wilderness, it's my Father who gives you the true bread. The true bread which comes down from heaven. The true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, what their problem ultimately was is that they had a sign-seeking faith. We've talked about this before, and it's one of the main themes throughout John. They had a sign-seeking faith. What sign can you give us? How can you prove who you are? How can you prove that you are the Messiah? Now, I wonder, why didn't Jesus just say, "Uh, are you serious? Didn't you just... Uh, I just fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and a fish, right? How about that sign? Not to mention the sign you didn't see. I just walked on the water across here. Jesus could have said that. I just walked on the water. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying, though, is I am greater than Moses. He's he's telling not only the, the crowds around him, he's telling his disciples who saw him walk on the water, I am greater than Moses. Moses fed you, fed your fathers with manna from the wilderness? It was actually God. I just fed you, I just fed thousands of people by this, this bread. But not only did I feed you from this miraculous event, I am the true bread. I am what the manna in the Old Testament points to. I am the true bread from heaven. And yeah, Moses, uh, he lifted up his rod and the sea was parted. I don't need to do that. I just walk across water. Just walk on top of it. I am so much greater than Moses. And yet you're looking to Him. For salvation, you're looking to Him. To fulfilling the law in order to be saved. 
I'm it. Look to me. I'm the true bread from heaven, Jesus says. See, they had already seen it. Verse 36, we we see Jesus addresses that uh, explicitly. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Their problem was not that Jesus didn't give them enough proof. Our problem in believing God, what he says in his word, is not that he has been short on evidence for his faithfulness. Your family member or friend who does not trust in Jesus, their problem is not that God has not given them enough evidence. It is clearly seen from everything that has been created that there is a God. His word is true, it is faithful. Your unbelieving friend problem is not the evidence. It is their heart. And the reason why we have weak faith, the reason why we seek after signs is because of our hearts. See, even after we have come to faith in Jesus, we still have a tendency to seek after signs. There's a promise in God's Word. We hear it and we say, God, I know your Word says this, But if you could please do something to confirm that word, if you could show me some sign to confirm what you have said, we're seeking after signs. We're displaying our weak faith. We're showing ourselves to be just like these people who seek after signs that we might believe God. And Jesus says, believe me. I've given you plenty of evidence. I've come in the flesh. I've worked miracles. I've healed the sick. I've healed the Blind, have fed thousands from just a few loaves and fish. And even in your own life, you can see the faithfulness of God. You can see struggles that you have gone through or a family member or a loved one has gone through. You have seen the work of God evident in your life. We need no further reason to believe Him. Trust in Him. Do not doubt. Don't be a sign seeker. Believe in His Word. He's declared it, and it is true. Now in verse 34, we see that these people are still thinking of physical bread. Sir, give us this bread. See, they don't grasp who He is still. They still call Him Sir. Give us this bread. We want to eat this so that we we won't get hungry anymore. He's just like the Samaritan woman at the well who says, give me this water so I won't have to, this water of eternal life so I won't have to keep coming back here to the well. They are seeing just in the physical sense, not in the spiritual sense. They're still thinking of physical bread, and so Jesus speaks plainly. I am the bread of life. I'm talking about myself. Are you so hard-headed you can't get this? I am the bread of life, Jesus says. And whoever comes to me, this is where you will find the ultimate satisfaction you are seeking. Not in those temporary things that, that will vanish in the earth, I'm it. I'm what you're seeking. I am what will fulfill your hunger forever. I am what will fulfill your thirst forever. Friend, if you're here and you're seeking after something that will satisfy you, it will only be found in Christ. No need to look anywhere else. There it is. It's in Jesus. I'm talking to you Christian or unchristian, uh, unbeliever. It's in Christ. Stop seeking Salvation and satisfaction where it can never be found. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Salvation is God's work, is God's doing, is God's gift. See, He points ultimately to Himself. 
He points to himself as the giver of life, as the bread of life which gives life to the world. And then Jesus goes on in the rest of this passage, 37 to 40, to show exactly what he means, that salvation is all of God. That salvation is God's work from beginning to the end. It's all grace. It's all a gift. See in verses 37 and 39, that first of all, the Father gives people to Jesus. Verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And in verse 39, this is the will of Him, the Father who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those He has given me. The way salvation works is the Father, God the Father, gives from all eternity past, He gives a people to Jesus. Do you see that in those verses? And then we see in verse 37 that those who the Father gives, what do they do? They come to the Son. The Father gives a people. Those people the Father gives, they come to the Son. This coming to the Son means a believing in Jesus, a looking to the Son and a believing in Him. Verse 40. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And once those who are given by the Father come to Jesus, notice what He does. Notice what Jesus takes the responsibility for. All those who come to Me, I will never drive away. He welcomes them. All those who come to Me, I won't lose any of them. He keeps them. And all those, all those who come to Me, all those who are given to Me by the Father, and all those who come to Me, I will raise them up on the last day. Believer, if you have come to Christ, it's because the Father has brought you to the Son. The Father has given you to the Son. And the Son is active in saving you. He is keeping you. He will never drive you away. He is holding you. He will always welcome you. And there's a promise for the end. He will raise you up at the last day. And that raising up, all of this actually, the, the keeping you, the welcoming you, the raising you up at the last day, it's all by virtue of the person and work of Jesus. It's because He was used up for the sake of sinners like you and me. He willingly took on our punishment, the punishment we deserve for using God as He died on the cross for us. He bled and died for you. And not only did He die and was buried, He rose from the dead, the firstfruits of our resurrection. So that if you have come to Him, you too have the promise of that resurrection, of coming to life on that final day. You see how all of this points to the fact that salvation is holy of God and holy of grace? He's active from the very beginning in initiating our relationship. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love Him, but why? Because He first loved us. He set His love on us and gave us to the Son. And the Son, the bread, has done everything necessary for us to be saved. This bread is received 
Not by earning it, not by doing any kind of work, but by simply believing in Him who has done everything for us. Believing in Him, the bread which was broken for us, as we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. He was broken for us. He bled out for us. It's all the work of God. And it is received by simple faith. Your salvation is ultimately not in your hands. And when I hear that, I say, thank you, God. Because if it was, I have no doubt in my sinful heart that I would run away. He keeps me. He is sovereign. He is good. Our salvation is in His hands. And we can rest assured that because of Christ, we are accepted in His sight. Now once you receive this bread, once you receive this true bread which comes down from heaven, there are some things that happen. You no longer need to use God to get what you want. Why? Because God is what you want. Jesus is what you want. You are satisfied with who He is for you. Not only that, you no longer now need to use others to get what you want. Instead, you are fully satisfied in all that Jesus is for you, so you have no need. You have no need to use somebody else just to satisfy your own pleasures. But not only that, instead, now you are free to be used by God. Not in an abusive way. To be used by God to serve others. Rather than take from others, you can now give to others. You can now serve others instead of using them. You serve them just as our Savior served us. By laying down His life for us. I wonder, have you identified any ways in which you have been using others around you? And if the answer is yes, turn away from that. Look again to the Son who has full grace for you, who has full forgiveness for you, and then try to think, how can I serve this person instead of using them? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your amazing grace. We thank You so much for the salvation You have provided for us, though we are undeserving. Though we are in need of You to stoop down to us in love, we pray that You would cause us to remember our Savior Jesus who has done everything necessary for us to bring us to You. To make us not only acceptable in Your sight, but beautiful. And Father, as we leave this place and go our separate ways throughout the week, we pray that You would cause us in gratitude to now seek to serve others. That we would be completely satisfied with who Jesus is for us and that we'd be ready to offer this bread from heaven to others around us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.